Hey everybody, welcome to a bonus episode of Linoleum Knife. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, with me is Dave White. Hello. And we're so thrilled to have with us today, you know him, you love him, from Turner Classic Movies. Uh, he's got a brand new book called uh, 50 uh, Oscar Nights. <laughs> I'm holding we're it so up. <laughs> <laughs> it's catching the light, Dave. I can't see the cover of the book. Uh, we're thrilled to have Dave Carger with us. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey guys, great to see you, great to hear you. <laughs> Let's 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 give the title one more time. Fifty Oscar nights. It's I, in stores now. Subtitle: Iconic stars and filmmakers on their career-defining wins. Excellent. It rolls off the tongue. It uh, absolutely, and uh, it's a delightful book. Congratulations on on it, sir. Um, uh, tell us a little about how how did this whole thing get started? Well, I am a host on Turner Classic Movies, and Alonzo, as you very well know. TCM has an arrangement with a great publisher called Running Press, which publishes three or four TCM branded books every year. So I was approached by the Running Press and the TCM people asking if I'd be interested in writing a book. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do one, it has to be about the Oscars because that's been the center of my professional life for 25 years plus. And I came up with this concept of interviewing 50 Oscar winners from the 1960s all the way through five years ago and getting the more personal stories about what it's like to win an Oscar. I wanted this Oscar book not to be about Hollywood politics or studio ups and downs, but about what it's actually like to go through this experience and what these iconic people remember about going through it and what it means to them today. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great concept because I think that, you know, you you can love the Oscars or hate the Oscars, but there is something about the event itself and being at the center of that whirlwind that I think people don't really know what that's like and they don't necessarily have that first person take. And so you're kind of giving this oral history where, where people get to share their experience of, you know, the... The, the work itself, making the movie that got them there, but then also the night and, you know, finding out that they got nominated and what did they wear and, and you know, all that stuff all the way up to where do you keep it now, uh, which is so great. But you you touched on your, your history with the Oscars. Um, obviously, you've been an entertainment journalist for years, but like, were you one of those kids and I, I am one of those kids who as sort of a budding, you know, movie nut, the, the Academy Awards was sort of your gateway drug to kind of, you know, getting a grip on Hollywood history and movies to check out and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, that and John Hughes, <laughs> those, those, were my, those were my two gateways as you know, someone who was born in the early seventies for me, the, the decade of the eighties was from age six to 16 for me. So that's kind of my formative years. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I happened upon the Oscars for the first time, I, I went back to try to remember when it was, and it was 1985. So it was the year of Amadeus and, the Killing Fields, and I write about this in the intro that I remember seeing Hang S. Noor winning Best Supporting Actor for The Killing Fields. I was 11. I didn't know what The Killing Fields were, <laughs> or was, I should say. Exactly. And uh, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know who Harvey Milk was, who that was the best documentary that year, but I thought it was interesting that there was a man whose last name was Milk. But anyway, but I think I was very <laughs> taken by the whole just everything about it, the ceremony, the importance of it, the competition of it, it all just was this perfect storm of things that I found very appealing. And yeah, so then I became the kid who was always watching the Oscars and wanted to know what was nominated and wanted to see all the movies. And then once I started as a writer at Entertainment Weekly in the mid-90s, 
I very quickly began writing about the Oscars and going to the ceremony and doing the predictions and interviewing a lot of the people who were going through the Oscar season. And it's become kind of, as I said, the focus of my professional career on the Today Show, on TCM, and when I was at EW. So it's it just seemed natural that that's what the book would be about. But as I said, one thing I love about my job is is interviewing people. That I didn't want to sit and write a 350-page book at a laptop. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be talking to people and hearing these stories, some of which I knew a little bit about, but mostly this was eye-opening stuff in this book. Uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, we are sort of the last generation for whom, uh, you know, when, when the Academy Awards were on TV, it was a big deal. You didn't get movie stars on television that much. And there certainly wasn't the explosion of cable channels covering the awards, talking about the awards, and then, you know, giving way to the internet where there's kind of you know, 24 seven, 365 Oscar punditry happening. Like it was an event that you really planned for and got excited about. And especially when, when you're a kid and, and you're just learning about the history of movies and, and even the movies of the previous year that you didn't necessarily get to see all of them, but seeing them in the, on this, you know, platform, uh, became kind of a big deal. Um, what was the first time that you attended and, and what was that like for you? So I went seven years in a row as a writer for Entertainment Weekly. The first year was the Oscars of 1998. So it was the Titanic year, which was quite a wow. first time to go. So I went, the first year was my, it was the Titanic year. The last year I went was the Chicago year. And that was the last year I went was the first time it was in what's now the Dolby Theater. It was the Kodak Theater. So I got to go to the first Oscars in its now home. So that was cool. But yeah, I mean, I was a young writer. I was 24 years old, got getting to go to the Academy Awards. It was very exciting. And I remember strangely at the end of the night, walking back into my hotel, I was staying at the Four Seasons, which was kind of like the entertainment weekly place to stay. And as I'm walking into the lobby, James Cameron and Linda Hamilton were also walking into the lobby with all of their Oscars that night. And I found myself in the elevator with just this, it was just six of us, me, Linda, James, Oscar, Oscar, and Oscar. <laughs> and uh, it was so crazy. And I said, oh, I said congratulations or something. And I think Linda Hamilton said something like, oh, yeah, I've been using them as, you know, dumbbells all night or something. And she started doing like <laughs> bicep curls with the Oscars. And that ended up in the magazine. But it was just, it was magical to go actually to the ceremony. Of course, you know, seven years later, I literally was saying to my editors, please don't send me to the Oscars anymore. I'm good. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't need to go. Because when you're there as a magazine reporter, your job is to, for five hours, bother people. And, yep. you know, say, I know Denzel Washington, you just won and you're trying to, you know, eat your dinner at the governor's ball. But I'm from Entertainment Weekly and I need a quote. I mean, that that was my job. Mm -hmm. That was not the part that I enjoyed. I like doing interviews with people when they want to be interviewed, not when they're wanting to do anything <laughs> except be interviewed. So anyway, so after seven years, I did kind of beg off actually going to the ceremony um, and the governor's ball and all that. And I, by that point, I was just kind of the Oscar feature writer, not the Oscar reporter. And I liked that role better. Well, these are wonderful interviews, by the way, because they don't feel like interviews. They feel like the people sat down and said, I'm just going to tell you everything about what happened that night. Everything from what they wore to, 
you know, uh, like Alonzo said earlier, where they keep it now. And the pre- the people, we haven't even talked about the people who are in this book. You've got big names, household names. You've got Nicole Kidman and Jane Fonda and Meryl Streep and Martin Scorsese and Clint Eastwood. And then you have not household names of people who are maybe necess- maybe people like costume designers and uh, uh, cinematographers. Our buddy Jessica Yu. Yeah, our, <laughs> our friend Jessica Yu, who won for Best Documentary Short. Um, and hearing those stories of, from people who you wouldn't recognize at the grocery store in Los Angeles, I love those the most. Um, because each one of those stories feels like I'm just this regular person. And now I have this weird award in my house (laughs) that people come in and look at and go, Oh my, you have an Oscar. (laughs) You know what, Dave? That is the coolest part of it, I think. I I am so glad you said that. And I have to give full credit to my book editor, Cindy Sapala. Alonzo, I think you know her. I do. Um, She's great. And when I sent her the wish list of 50 celebrities that I was planning on reaching out to for this book, she wrote me back and said, wow, this is a great list if you can get these people. And she said, but let me encourage you to save, you know, a half dozen slots in this book for lesser known people. And I'm so glad that A, she suggested that and B, that I did what she said, because I'm with you. My favorite chapter in the whole book is Kevin O'Connell, the sound mixer who lost his first 20 nominations and then finally won. And he talks about what it was like for 36 years to be the guy sitting in the auditorium clapping for everybody else. And then on a year where he was nominated for sound for Hacksaw Ridge and had lost every precursor award to La La Land because the musical always wins best sound. And he was like, well, there's no way I'm winning this time either. And then he won. And it's just this magical goosebump inducing story. And he tells it with such entertainment and clarity and passion that I'm every, whenever anyone tells me they bought this book and they're like, Oh, it's so cool. You have Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. I'm like, read Kevin (laughs) O'Connell. That's the best chapter (laughs) because it's just, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So, so I love those stories too. The Barry Jenkins story of how he felt so overwhelmed by the chaos of the, of the event of the event itself that all he wanted to do was go home (laughs) after it was over. And I thought, Oh dude, I, I would feel so scrambled in my mind. I too would want to go home and hide. Um, and then you've got Meryl Streep, who didn't find out until later that there were after parties the year of Sophie's <laughs> Choice. That nobody bothered to invite her to Anna. I know. <laughs> well, you, Barry Jenkins, I have to tell you, of everybody in the book, was the one person who, even though I knew him decently well and I've had great experiences with him, I was not sure he was going to say yes to being in this book because I explained to him in the email what it would entail and what the, you know, conceit of the book was. And I thought, well, he's never really spoken at length publicly about that night. And I'm so grateful that he decided to, because it's, it's bittersweet for sure. Almost more bitter than sweet to hear him tell it. And he said something like it wasn't an awesome evening. And isn't that crazy? Here's this guy who wins his movie wins best picture. And he says it wasn't an awesome evening. Yeah, um, that to me is really turmoil. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there are some quotes that are as gold 
as anything like that that award looks like. Lee Grant, (laughs) who spent (laughs) years being blacklisted by the industry and who then wins and then she says her first thought was, I did it. I beat you all. (laughs) I was like, now that... From a star of Valley of the Dolls. That is the most Valley of the Dolls quote (laughs) in the whole book. She was so great. I got to do that one in person at her apartment on the Upper West Side. I had never met her before. She was so cool. I think she's 98 years old now. She's she's the oldest person. She's one of the oldest living directors, apparently, according to a list that just came out. (laughs) Wow. And then, of course, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, And then my other favorite, just the most heartwarming uh, of them all, Jennifer Hudson, hearing her name and thinking to herself, don't get up because nobody heard that but you. <laughs> she was great. And I love that she fully admitted to me she basically didn't know what the Oscars were. Right. She didn't, she didn't know who Effie White was. She yeah. knew she knew the song, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. But she didn't know yep. the character. She didn't know the show. This was a massive learning experience for her, and now she's come so full circle on it. And to hear her say that she really wants to try to be, it almost reminded me of, in a strange way, Hattie McDaniel. Remember Hattie McDaniel's speech when she said, "I want to be a credit." Yeah. Uh, you know, she, that's what Jennifer was basically saying all these like decades later. She said, I want to be a credit to the Academy. I want everything yeah. I do to kind of live up to the fact that they believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. I thought that was really, really interesting. And she just openly talks about how Jamie Foxx would continuously make fun of her <laughs> for not knowing what was going on. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so... Uh, Dave, every film lover, I think, has the Oscar that got away that that vexes them the most. What is there a performance or a best picture or a sound design one where you're like, oh, man, y'all got it so wrong. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm a very positive person. Alonzo, you know (laughs) that about me. But I have no problem saying that I think the best actor win for Roberto Benigni for Life is Beautiful Especially when you consider that he was up against Nick Nolte for Affliction and Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters. Like, that just doesn't sit well with me. And then also just the fact that Broadcast News didn't win anything is just, like, criminal. Oh, really? Nothing? Nothing. Because I still... There's a... When I was in college and I was a film critic for my uh, campus paper, we did, like, a, a, a thing where people would, you know, submit their Oscar picks and see how they, how well they did compared to me. And I wound up, that was the year that I learned I'm terrible at picking the Oscars because I thought the color purple was going to sweep. <laughs> <laughs> and Oops. it came away with zero out of 11. <laughs> right, yes. I think that's the biggest loser of all time. Yeah, yeah. And so that shows you what I know. But uh, but well, yeah, broadcast news is on that list. Yikes. The most, <laughs> uh, I, I, the consistent through line here for me uh, as someone who read through this and just enjoyed it very much was the, the idiosyncratic humanity of where people keep the actual statue. You know, you've got the big people like Clint Eastwood and Steven Spielberg who are like, yes, I have 30 of these and they're in my office, in, <laughs> you know, somewhere. Um, but then you have other people who, who, who are very shy about not even having it on display in their house. 
You know, they're like, I don't want to be a show off. I don't want people to come in and, and there'll be like a spotlight on it or something, you know. Um, Lewis Gossett like wants to get rid of it. Wants his. to donate his to a library. Yeah. Uh, the Academy does have a library, Lewis Gossett yeah. Jr. You could <laughs> donate it to them. Um, the, uh, but people saying things like, you know, I keep it in the bathroom so my friends can touch it and make little <laughs> private speeches and stuff. I think that's so cool and funny and weird. Um that it, 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 it makes me feel less like I'm reading something from a, a world-famous movie star. I appreciate that. And I also yeah. loved the fact that ev- I got every possible answer. And yeah. one answer that I found really interesting, and if I recall, it was Mira Sorvino who said something like this, and then also uh, Kristen and Bobby Lopez, the writers of Let It Go from Frozen, said something yeah. similar, which is like having kids and having an Oscar is interesting and daunting because you don't want the Oscar to be like sitting in front of their, your kids while you're, while they're doing their homework. Like, yeah. look what, look what mom and dad did. Now, how's your homework going? So <laughs> that, that was interesting. Right? Yeah. But then, and then you have something like Halle Berry who has it in her bedroom because for yeah. her, it's a private kind of intimate achievement. I really thought that was very interesting. Rita Moreno had hers in a cardboard box until her mm-hmm. new husband at the time said, why is this in a cardboard box? This should be right. out and displayed. And she said, yeah, you're right. I did earn this. So there, yes, that, that was surprising to me for sure. All the different answers. I love the idea of Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft keeping it on their mother's televisions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that Mel Brooks's mom could show it off whenever her friends came over for tea <laughs> in, in Florida. That's great. <laughs> so uh, what are you doing for the Oscars this year? Are you, uh, you know, do you, do you put, now that you don't go, do you put on a spread at home or is it a work night for you? How does it play out? Well, lately it's been so many different things. Like for a couple of years, I was hosting a live show on IMDb, kind of a companion show to the Oscars because IMDb realized that that was their most heavily trafficked day of the year because people would watch the Oscars and say, oh, where do I know that guy from? So a couple of years I was hosting that. I got to host a really cool event at the Academy Museum the first year that that opened. And I, I did the red carpet show on ABC a few years ago. Right now, I am a guy for hire and I have no commitments this year at the Oscars. And if I don't have any, I'm going to sit here at home in Palm Springs and just have like very comfy clothes on and sit and watch it on TV and laugh at Jimmy Kimmel because I love him. You heard it here, Snickers. Dave Carger is available for your Oscar night event. (laughs) (laughs) I love Snickers. (laughs) <laughs> who doesn't so Dave obviously we are big this is a TCM house uh, and you know we, we are or fans of, of the network and the, this all the stuff that happens there um, and you know the past couple of years have been a little uh, you know with all the things happening at Warner Brothers Discovery there was a moment of tension and panic about you know the the future of the network and then thankfully you had you know your your Spielberg, Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson intervention. Um, how do you feel about the state of things at TCM? You know, the network just celebrated a big anniversary. Um, you know, uh, how, how's it all looking over there? Well, it, it has been a bit of a rough year. Uh, there are several people who were in high positions there that no longer work there. And that is very sad for all of us who are there. The silver lining of everything that we went through is that I feel like it awakened this sleeping giant of support of for the network, not only from 
people like Paul Thomas Anderson, Marty Scorsese, and Steven Spielberg, but just regular viewers who we are hearing from even more. And I think COVID also had an impact on that. Mm. So I, I, I do know that the five of us hosts aren't going anywhere. I'm sticking around for a while and I know all the other ones are too. So that's the good news. I think, I think for most viewers, you won't be able to see on air any of the kind of turmoil that we did go through in the last year. And yes, to your point, the 30th birthday of TCM is April 14th. We did actually have a early celebration party, which you were at. Um, and, uh, but the actual birthday is April 14th and we're doing so much cool stuff over the month of April to, um, commemorate the anniversary, including I actually got to guest host 17 years ago when I was like a baby with Robert Osborne and they're going to run a couple clips, a couple segments that I did with Robert Osborne on the birthday. So that, and same with Eddie Muller, he got to co-host with Robert maybe 10 years ago or so, and they're going to run one of those clips as well. So it's going to be a a full day of Robert Osborne stuff featuring some of us as well. So that's going to be really fun. Nice. And then right after that is the festival here in Los Angeles. Yes, and we just announced today that uh, we're returning to the Egyptian Theater, which has been, as you guys know, completely renovated and redone and brought up to technological speed and all that. So I can't wait to see that. I haven't seen it yet myself, but um, but that's going to be really great. Yeah, I've been. It's they've really changed the inside. The balcony's gone. It's you know, but but they they've. I think the. The, the sound and picture are, are better than ever. And it's always been, or not always, but it has for a while been one of the few theaters in town that can show nitrate prints. Right. Uh, because those are so, you know, potentially flammable. And so I know there's at least one of those coming up on the schedule. And, and yep. uh, you're opening with a big 30th anniversary for Pulp Fiction and John Travolta's coming. Uh, is there anything else in the lineup that like that, that you're part of that you can talk about yet? Or is that still? Um, I know that we've announced Billy D. Williams. I know that he's oh. coming, so that's right. going to be really great. He's getting a big award, and we're also giving an award to Janine Basinger, of course, the film historian, oh. so that's going to be terrific. And then there's other stuff that they would kill me if I said, so I can't say it. Yet. <laughs> Fair but, enough. But, but speaking, of, speaking of teasing upcoming TCM-related things, can we talk about you? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't planning to, but sure. Yes. Uh, as I've mentioned on the show before, I have a, a book coming out from TCM and Running Press, called Hollywood Pride. It's out May 14th. I'm very excited about it. Um, and it's a history of LGBTQ plus Hollywood on and off screen. I love it. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing you uh, over the years as part of our Pride Month programming. And it's always such a pleasure. So I'm, I'm sure we'll be doing something about it for your book. Uh, you know, I never presume, presume, but fingers are crossed, sir. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get on the case. I'm going to get on the case. <laughs> and then, of course, the TCM cruise is happening again in November? October. October. So, yeah. So, so much it, fun. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a packed year for you kids. It is, but we love it. And, and for, the cruise is a true highlight for me. Uh, you know, to have like Mitzi Gaynor and Cicely Tyson over, you know, and Elliot Gould came on. George Shakiris came on the cruise this year. That oh, was wow. so cool. So, yeah, it's, it's really fun. And the fans just love it. And it's it's a special experience for all of us to be on that cruise. Yeah, I, I got to go on the first one, uh, and and I always tell people it's it's one of the few times where you'll sit at a dinner table of strangers and the subject will immediately turn to, so what's your favorite John Huston film? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's unique. 
Yeah. And also, yeah. thanks to the TCM crews, I got to watch the Poseidon adventure on an ocean <gasps> liner with Ernest Borgnine. So, <laughs> okay. You've lived. Took all downhill from there. <laughs> you have lived. Wow, that's great. So yeah. once again, uh, the book is called 50 Oscar Nights. It is available wherever fine books are sold. Uh, I know you've been doing some appearances, Dave. Anything upcoming that we you want to plug here? There's a really cool event happening on February 27th at the Hollywood Heritage Museum that the Larry Edmonds Bookstore is putting on. And Alicia Malone, who, as you guys know, is one of the other fabulous hosts of TCM, she's going to be interviewing me uh, on the night of February 27th in L.A. at the Hollywood Heritage Museum, which is near the Hollywood Bowl. And then I'll be signing my book and she'll be signing her books afterwards. And nothing would make me happier than to see a nice full room at that event on February 27th. Well, we will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and where can people follow you online, sir? On X and Instagram at Dave Carger, K-A-R-G-E-R. Excellent. Well, uh, you can always catch him on Turner Classic Movies, and uh, he will be making the Oscars more magical this year by <laughs> by hook or by crook. He's, you know, he, he, he knows his stuff, and he's going to be talking about it. Dave Carger, thank you so much for coming thank on Linoleum Knife. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I'm so glad you like the book. It means a lot. Congratulations. Take care. Thanks. See ya. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back soon with more reviews. Uh, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>